Hello and welcome to NDIS Know How, a podcast series that asks how can parents get the very best NDIS plan and sufficient funding to support their kid. This podcast is written and made by me, Melanie Dimmitt, the author of Special, and powered by HireUp, a disability support platform connecting families like mine with top-notch support workers. In this episode, I'm chatting with my friend and HireUp colleague, Brianna Blackett. Bri is the sole parent of her two sons, Max, who's 15, and 13-year-old Freddie, both of whom have autism. Bri is also a senior journalist and a seasoned advocate. Definitely a reluctant gladiator. It's not something I choose to do every day, but find myself having to drag myself into that coliseum. In this conversation, we cover how to advocate for our kids, especially those with autism, at an NDIS planning meeting, the liberating benefits of being plan managed, and what changes to our government and the NDIS could mean for our community. I start by asking... Fry, what advice do you have? I know this would be super general because if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. But for parents of kids with autism generally, do you think there are things that get missed out in these planning meetings that perhaps parents might not be aware that they can talk about or bring up as certain kinds of supports? You know, I know parts of autism can be invisible, so it can be hard to convey perhaps some of the needs of your kids. What would be your very general advice for parents of kids with autism approaching NDIS planning meetings? Mm. That's a really good question because the kind of autism I'm most familiar with is the high needs kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then it's really, really hard because there is a lot of um, misunderstanding in society as a whole, but sadly definitely throughout the NDIA as well of what autism is, mainly because it's so broad, the spectrum is so broad. I think the main bit of advice I would give for people whose kids are on the spectrum is to really clearly and with examples and evidence if possible, outline how their autism impacts their ability to do ordinary things and to have ordinary things and to take part in ordinary things. So, you know, if they have issues with sensory processing, with, you know, communication, with personal care or executive functioning, you need to show how these impact your child's life because without showing that, they won't understand why you need support in it. Don't assume anything. Never assume that the person you're speaking to knows about your life or how autism impacts your child's life. And I think Even if the person you're speaking to says, I'm really familiar with autism, work on the assumption that they're they're really not because they may not be familiar with the way autism impacts your child or you if you're the person with autism yourself. You are a sole parent looking after these two boys, working pretty much full time on top of that. How do you ensure in those planning meetings that your need for support, and let's call it what it is, it's support workers, is clearly getting across? Uh, Basically, again, it comes down to the way autism impacts the children. So I basically have to outline what would happen if we didn't have those supports. Um, And it does place the children, every mother hates to say this, but it does place the children at risk if we don't have those supports. I can't go places without having at least 
one other set of eyes and hands to make sure the children aren't running onto the road, um, wandering off, you know, to go do their own thing, but not understanding the danger of that. Um, I mean, the way my children, especially my youngest, he's a daredevil. <laughs> he doesn't understand danger. He doesn't even understand death. I've actually had to sit and explain to him that death is the end because he has watched cartoons and kiddie shows and all that kind of stuff where, you know, the cartoon character might run off the cliff, but then he's back again at the next series. Like there's mm. doesn't understand it's the end. And I and this is just one part of, you know, one part of the story. And so I think it's really important to show that, you know, you need these supports for XYZ reasons. Um, and if you don't have these supports, this is the life that you might end up living. And these are the risks that you will end up having to possibly take or basically you might end up being isolated because you just can't afford to take those risks. Um, Bri, you have hmm. two kids on the NDIS and are self-managed, I'm assuming. No, God, no. You're not self-managed. No, that would be a full-time job. If, ah. if, you, if you wanted to crush me, ask me to self-manage my boys' plans. There's no way I could keep up with that paperwork. So you're plan-managed? I am plan-managed, which means that I effectively have outsourced the bookkeeping aspect of keeping across all the NGIS funding. Uh, this actually frees me up a lot because it means that I don't have to, um, for me personally, juggle the admin side of things because I just don't have the time. I'm a sole parent. I have two kids. They have complex needs. We have all sorts of therapies and outings and um, not to mention just standard life stuff, school things and, you know, just doctor visits and dentist visits and, you know, not to mention play activities. So, you know, to me, being plan managed means it's one thing I don't have to worry about. Yes. Now I know how you're doing it, Brad, because I'm like, I wear self-managed and I think that works for us now, but I love the idea of in the future outsourcing some of it. I struggle though because I am such a control freak and I find I can be creative and actually make the funds work to suit our needs better, having full control. Do you feel like there's any of that that you sacrifice by being plan managed? No, I still have full control. Plan managers to me are effectively like the PA, right? So this is what we've decided to do. You know, this is how we want to do it. And then they go away and do it effectively. And also having people who keep their eye across the money all the time means that I have a second pair of eyes to say to me, hey, did you know you could do this and this might save on this? Or, you know, did you know this new change is coming, which means you need to rethink this? Like that to me is really helpful. There's definitely no lack of control at all. What it does mean is I can step back from, you know, um, being in control of that and just focus on the daily life things that the kids and I have to get through every day. Yeah, I love that. I see that's like a, a hopeful thing in my future that I can see us getting to. And on that, right, you've recently been covering an NDIS conference. We've had a change in government, change in NDIS minister. I've got Shorten at the helm now. Can you tell me what you think this means for the NDIS and in particular, what does it mean for autism families on the NDIS? What I personally found interesting was the 
conversation around, I guess, well, Bill Shorten in his speech used the word severe and profound multiple times with regard to um, who the NGIS was built for. So, um, So it made me think that, you know, where to from here for the NGIS? Maybe they're going to refocus on supporting people whose disabilities are seen within the the severe and profound category, which means that a lot of people who fall into this, um, what I'm hearing called a tier two group of people with disabilities, so maybe um, people whose support needs aren't as high, but do need support. There was a lot of talk over both days of the summit about, well, how do we support people with disability who don't fall into that category? Yes. And I mean, our kids, Bri, are in that severe, profound, definitely put quote marks around that Mm. category. So I guess I feel, I don't know if I ever feel secure with the NGIS, but secure in when you're saying that, okay, probably won't impact Arlo. He's not going to get shoved onto tier two. But I'd say, you know, many families with a child with autism, this might impact. And there is talk about, you know, part of the so-called overspend on the scheme is because there were all these kids with autism, people with autism coming on that they did not anticipate. Do you feel concerned for the autism community as a whole there that it might be harder, you know, particularly for parents who are advocating for their kids with autism to get the supports they need? Mm. Look, Mel, you're absolutely right. Um, You know, no one says that out loud. No one has actually come out and said the NJA doesn't want to fund autism. But the fact that it gets raised a lot in the same sentence of, you know, overspend and sustainability and so on, um, you know, when you are an autism family, it's hard not to make that link and feel a little desperate as to what that means for your child. And also with regards to autism in general, it is so complex with the way it can affect somebody. You know, my son is very smart when it comes to patterns and design and engineering and space and science, but still needs help being able to say hi. (laughs) You know, like it's hard to explain how that impacts somebody um, to someone who hasn't lived it. Mm. So I think there are a lot of people in the autism community who get worried about this sort of grey area between tier one and tier two that you might be highly capable in some areas of certain things and really struggling in others. And I don't know if the tier one and tier two analogy is going to work for people in the autism community. Yeah, because of that grey space. Mm. There'll be bits of them in tier one and bits of them in tier two. (laughs) And I think it's a matter of watch this space. A lot of things being said at the moment. We'll have to, you know, the proof will be in the pudding. We'll have to see. What happens? Bri, I want to end on a positive note, if we can. How has the NGIS supported or helped your family? Oh, good. I'm so glad you asked that question, Mel, because, you know, here we are, like, dissecting all the little ways that, it, that you know, it has, you know, been, um, I guess, off-piste. Yeah. But, I, you know, with the NGIS is so crucially important to every aspect of my family life. You know, it has enabled us to, to take part in the world again. It has enabled us to do fun things as a family. Um, it has enabled us 
financial security that we wouldn't have had before it. It has enabled us to basically not need any other kinds of help because I am able to earn, um, you know, money to look after us. But, you know, with, with my kids, you know, I'll be looking after them forever. So it's even more important now that I have those um those capacities to plan for that um and it's also crucially important as my kids get older and this is something I couldn't have imagined when they were younger but it's so important that they have opportunity to be independent from me you know it's a hard thing to let your kids go regardless of whether or not they have disability but it's even harder when you've spent all of their lives protecting them from the struggles of being in a world not designed for them to then step back and say all right well you know off you go (laughs) you know have a go at this try doing that having this is where the support workers are so important because the support workers are closer in age to my children they're fun they're young they've got energy they're not doing boring things like I'm doing and it means that the kids get to go out and do things that are age appropriate for them and it gives them a chance to be out in the world without holding on to my hand and the thing I wasn't anticipating that was the growth in confidence and mental health for my children knowing that they are able to do things on their own terms and in their own way without their daggy mum hanging on to them every step of the way like even that is something that I couldn't have anticipated the importance of without going through it myself. So the NJS, this is why it's so crucial and it's so crucial to get it right because it has revolutionized our lives. It has brought us out of the dark and we are no longer hanging on the edges of the margins. We are able to take part in the world and the growth in my children and in my family has been enormous. So, you know, it's such an important service and it's really something that we couldn't live without now. But that's why, you know, people like me fight so hard to make it work because we know what's at stake if it doesn't. Thank you to Bri for this enlightening chat and also to Hira for supporting me in making this podcast. If you want to learn more about how to get the most out of your kids' NDIS plan, why not come along to HireUp's Navigating the NDIS webinar series on the first Tuesday of each month? To register, check out hireup.com.au forward slash events. Thanks for tuning in to NDIS Know How, and I'll catch you again soon.